Alrighty, welcome to another edition of the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tatsby. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg, the birthday boy, and Dr. Justin Quinn. Alex, how was the birthday? It was great. I went on a lovely picnic with my partner, Annabelle, uh, over by the Chestnut Hill Reservoir. We had some snacks. It was nice. Uh, she got me a fancy new espresso maker that I just made myself a wonderful latte with. So shout out to you, Annabelle. Love you very much. But yeah, no, good birthday. Happy birthday. Dr. Quinn, Dr. Quinn how was your Alex's birthday weekend? Uh, I did a whole lot of nothing once I got my schedule writing out of the way in the morning, and it was glorious. Cool. Shout out to Gaines Donuts for uh, bequeathing us with some donuts. And shout out to our presenting sponsor, BetOnline.ag. We'll talk about that later. It's Sunday morning, East Coast time. I guess Central time, too, just earlier for Dr. Quinn. And so we have game five on deck. So we'll spend a little bit of time talking about game four, but certainly anyone listening to this has already made peace with what happened in game four. So we won't spend too much time there. We're mostly going to look ahead at game five and talk about the news. But this trio hasn't really digested game four. So we'll do that first. And as we have been doing all finals long, I'm going to, I'll go to the birthday boy first. Alex, pick a player you want to talk about and let it rip. So one player that everybody has kind of been talking about in the wake of game four and really this whole series is Jason Tatum, um, who is shooting an unusually low percentage in the finals. And I think there's a lot of Boston media folks and other stuff like that that um, are are kind of throwing a lot of heat at Jason Tatum right now. He's shooting 34% in the finals, which is uh, per stat news, the lowest by any player with 20 or more attempts a game in a final series ever. Um, Admittedly, that is not great. And Jason Tatum, I think in a lot of ways has struggled to get into an offensive rhythm, the kind that that we're used to seeing from him in this series. One thing that I want to point out is that Jason Tatum's shoulder has not looked comfortable at any point this series. He has been repeatedly kind of grabbing it uh, throughout the games, wincing a little bit. I think it's fair to say, and this is the case for everybody, so it's not just this, that Jason Tatum is not 100% healthy. He's playing through it. Um, But I have to say, you know, it's weird to me that there's this focus on Jason Tatum's shooting percentage uh, and and also the turnovers, which he has 91, which would... Uh, if he gets four more turnovers, he will pass LeBron for the most turnovers in a single playoff run. So those are two pretty alarming kind of like big bulletin board stats um, that if you look at, you think, wow, Jason Tatum must really be struggling. Here's the thing. Jason Tatum is also doing a lot of other things really, really well in this series. Um In particular, I think he's looked great defensively. He's been switching really well and trying to kind of cut off a lot of uh, dribble actions into the paint. Uh, I've noticed that he's been able to really kind of, particularly when he gets a quick double from another teammate, he's doing a really nice job shutting off uh, Golden State's off-ball movement, and he looks comfortable switching on just about anybody. He's also passing the ball really well. Jason Tatum is, you know, consistently getting six, seven, eight assists per game in this series, and I think, and he's rebounding. You know, I, I, I guess my thing is that there's a lot of talk right now about Jason Tatum needs to do more for the Celtics to win the title. And I think that from a shooting perspective and a turnovers perspective, it's probably true. Jason Tatum does need to do a little bit more, 
But it's not like Jason Tatum is having a bad series by any stretch of the imagination. He's passing, he's moving the ball really well, he's getting rebounds, and he's defending at a super high level. The issue is that the shot is not falling in part because of injury and in part because he's going against one of the best defenses in the league in the Golden State Warriors. Andrew Wiggins, I think, has been phenomenal as a defensive stopper. So I don't know. There's a lot of talk about like what Jason Tatum needs to do better. And I think there are there is some truth to that. But let's let's not go the sky is falling. Jason Tatum has been a complete disappointment. He really hasn't been. Fair enough. Dr. Quinn, a player of your choosing, go. Yeah, you know, I completely agree with that. I don't think that it's really fair to be jumping on Jason. He does need to be better if he's going to be the superstar we want to believe that he is. And he has yet to really put his imprint on this series in a way that would even put him in the conversation for, for finals MVP. But for me, the thing that I'm taking away from game four and want to talk about very briefly would be Kevon Looney coming off the bench and getting 11 rebounds. And that bleeds pretty well into our next talking point, uh, just to keep moving very quickly. And that would be, for me, uh, the key issue from the game that I want to talk about or trend or whatever we want to call it. And that would be the rebounding, offensive rebounding and rebounding in general, uh, 55 to 42 uh, deficit for the Celtics in game four. I think it's fairly safe to say that even with everything else being relatively close from the turnovers, I mean, there were 16 turnovers, but I think Golden State had like 15 or 14. Yeah, kind of a wash. Yeah, so it's like if, if anything stands out to me, it's how it's how Steve Kerr shuffled his, his rotation uh bringing Kevon Looney off the bench um, and really, really screwing up how the Celtics were playing by starting, starting Otto Porter. We could talk a little bit more about that in a second, but for me, the key to this game uh, in particular was Kevon Looney and the rebounding, allowing 13 more possessions to Golden State. And, you know, even with everyone else doing poor, even with Steph Curry more or less going to plan. I know it sounds crazy to say what happened with the plan. Uh, him going off like a supernova, that wasn't part of the plan, obviously, but letting him eat the, the, the three-pointers that he can get, that yeah. kind of was part of the plan. So I guess we can talk about that in a moment. Yeah, I think it's worth like leaning back and just admiring greatness because the Celtics defended Steph Curry really, really well. I mean, three, maybe four of his threes came like six feet beyond the three-point line. So like ridiculous and you can't guard everything. I mean, you kind of have to live with that. So um, the player that I want to talk about also informs the trend that I want to talk about, which was our next question. I want to talk about Marcus Smart, um, who I don't think has had a great series um, insofar as this version of Marcus Smart in the 21-22 season uh, as a point guard with a capital P, capital G, has been really important for the Celtics, a stabilizing force, a North Star for their offense. And when that's not the case, we get the the more variable Marcus Smart, which is live by the three, die by the three, which can be great when the threes are, are connecting and when he's he's playmaking. Um, but when he's not, it's, it's a real problem. And I, I've said this a number of times, I, I, I don't feel comfortable holding Jalen and Jason truly accountable because they're so young. And there's, we won't get into it again, but there's a lot of psychology. There's a lot of sports history. There's a lot of reasons that when the Celtics are in a scoring drought, they can't be called upon to really figure it out in the same way that an older player, a coach, a veteran can. And I, I think it's incumbent on Marcus Smart and to a lesser extent, 
Al Horford on the court to be that stabilizing force when things are getting tough for the Celtics. Um, they're not paid like Jason or Jalen. Well, Horford sort of is. Um, it, it feels crazy to say it's not the star's problem, um, but if Marcus Smart wants to be the point guard and Marcus Smart is the, the elder statesman of the team in so many ways, it's so critically important that he gets the offense going. And in the fourth quarter of game four, he did not do that. In the fourth quarter of game three, after a timeout, he did do that. And I think that that's tantamount to the Celtics not choking like dogs the way they did. So uh, the trend line that I'm worried about is when the Celtics go remarkably cold. And I think a, a key way of solving that problem is Marcus Smart rising to the moment as a point guard and as a leader. And I don't think we saw that in game four. Um, <clears throat> Alex, to close a book on game four, what's a trend line good or bad uh, from either team that you are interested in? It's tough because in game four and kind of at this point in the series, it seems like both of these teams really have a clear identity and know who they are. Um, one trend that I have been watching all series and that I'm going to kind of continue to watch is who's winning the rebounding battle, which seems to like it's changing on a game to game basis. So in game four, the Celtics were out rebounded in particular because of, of a decision that I, I frankly thought was a little questionable by Ime Udoko that I, who I love and think is great, but um, sticking with the uh, smaller lineup with Al Horford at center down the stretch of the fourth quarter, I get the reason why. You want to have Derek White and Marcus Smart out there to try and stop the white hot Steph Curry. But a big part of why Steph Curry was as hot as he was in the first place is because Golden State was getting second, third, fourth chances for him to hit shots. In that situation, I would kind of like to see Robert Williams out there with Al Horford in the double big lineup. Uh, and I think that that's a big part of why the Celtics lost the rebounding battle in game four and ultimately might have lost the game. So going forward, one trend that I'm going to be looking for is do the Celtics control the rebounds? Uh, do they get both of Rob and Al out there uh, to make that happen? So let me uh, just jump in here because this actually, you, you took the words out of my mouth as you so often do. Great minds think like all that good stuff. Uh, regarding what adjustments the Celtics can make in game five, I really think that matching the minutes when Looney's on the floor with more capable rebounders uh, they don't necessarily need to be bigs, but the people need to be like tasked with making sure those boards are gotten somehow. So, yeah. All right. Well, before we get fully into game five, let's pause the action and talk about our friends betonline.ag. They continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. You can find the latest odds, news, sports developments that include this year's NBA finals, the NHL uh, finals at this point, Major League Baseball, and all the latest fighting news. You can even get action on next season's early NFL futures. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. You can head to the website or use your mobile device today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just make sure to use our promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, let's talk about game five. And again, it's Sunday morning. Game five will be Monday evening in San Francisco. Dr. Quinn, I'll go to you first. How much, if any, do you think game four swung the momentum? Um, I presumably in favor of the Warriors, but maybe I'm wrong about this. You're not wrong. I mean, you fight for home court for a reason. Uh, I think along with the Celtics, if there is an arena where there is home court advantage, the Chase Center is definitely one of those arenas. You know, there are some, I think, like, 
you, you go down to Barclays, it's like, it could be a home yeah. game. You're not really sure. <laughs> it's like the, the, the Celtics chants are nearly as loud as the Nets. But I digress. Uh, I think that there is an advantage in the favor of the Warriors if it goes to three games. I do think that if the Celtics put the season on the line tonight, that the fans will take care of them. Tomorrow night. The next, the next game, yes. Yeah. Alex, agree, disagree? It's been so hard for any team to establish momentum in what seems like it's really a back and forth series. And so I think it on a game to game basis, yes, the Warriors clearly do have some momentum after reestablishing home court and winning last night in a game which the Celtics probably could have won if they had changed a few things. But this series is so back and forth and the Celtics are just such a great road team and such a resilient team after losses that it doesn't really feel like significant momentum has been established in particular because I don't know that the Golden State Warriors played an exceptional game of basketball in game four. I think Steph Curry established that he's clearly the best player in this series and reestablished pretty firmly that there, you can't have a top five player discussion without having Steph Curry in it. He's just that good. But, you know, I'm not just, I, maybe this is stupid and I'm going to knock on wood now. I I don't know that I saw anything from Golden State in game four that strikes me as particularly sustainable. So I would say there's a slight momentum advantage just because, um, you know, it is hard to go to San Francisco and win in Golden State's house but I don't think it's a particularly significant one. And I have to say, you know, I thought I would feel a lot worse after that game than I actually did. Yeah. Golden State is 14 and six in the postseason at home this year. That's uh, 70% win percentage, the highest of any team in the postseason. Uh, the Celtics are eight and three on the road, which is overwhelmingly the highest percent of any team in the postseason. So to that end, it's, it's two immovable objects a little bit that, the dominant home warriors and the dominant road Celtics. I think what's interesting, and this continues this idea of like, I, I think that the Celtics are not immature. I think they're just young. The momentum will swing as much as they mentally have decided it, it has. Because something that I've feared all postseason long and at times I think has reared its ugly head is the Celtics can get the yips. They can get in their own head. If they're too online and they're watching first take and they're reading mean tweets and things like that. I think that they can buy the narrative that the Warriors have stolen momentum. Um, I think a, a more disciplined team, and I'm not saying the Celtics are undisciplined, but a team as veteran as the Warriors who see just about everything or the Spurs of a different era, I don't think that they would get particularly jarred by this moment. I think that the Celtics might. I, I am happy to be wrong about that and see that they win the first quarter Monday night by 10 points. Uh, but I could certainly believe that their own demons come back to haunt them. So I, I'm worried about the momentum swing as far as much as I'm worried that the Celtics believe in that momentum swing, uh, because Alex, to your point, otherwise the Celtics can't go cold for seven minutes again in the fourth quarter, I don't think. And Steph Curry can't shoot lights out. What did he get? Seven threes or whatever that was um, so easily again, that doesn't feel sustainable. So that's how I feel about the momentum swing. Do we think that Steve Kerr will start with the same starting lineup with Otto Porter Jr. And yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Why stop? Yeah. Well, so it's working. Well, why stop? I think part of it, and maybe I'm wrong about this, is that it caught the Celtics so off guard. And if well, the they're going to adjust, but I mean, like until it stops working. Sure. 
I mean, we did, I think privately after the first quarter, we thought what a silly pivot that the, the Warriors made. Ha ha ha. And oops. I mean, I don't even think it's the start of Otto Porter so much as it is like giving Looney those minutes off the bench uh, and giving giving him a situation where he gets to come in and kind of dominate when uh, Grant Williams and uh, when Al Horford is at center and Grant Williams is on the floor. So that's the kind of tactical adjustment. It, 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 there's a pretty simple read that Ime can make here, which is to pull one of Rob or Al very early, basically, um, probably Al, to be honest. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's one of those things where in, in a series as tight as this one coaches make an adjustment and then if it works, they just rock with it no matter what, and whether it works or not does not actually depend on like, how does it go immediately upon doing it? It depends on the final score. And for now, I think, uh, Steve Kerr has made his choice and I don't, I don't see any world in which he goes back on that choice unless he's forced to adjust again. Is there an adjustment either from Golden State or from Boston uh, vis-a-vis a starting lineup that you think is, if not game five, is is to come, either of you? I mean, I already said one of them, and that's just making sure that you have the right personnel out there to co- to corral the rebounds you need to when Louie's on the floor. So yeah. start, da- start Daniel Tice is what you're saying. <laughs> God. Um, I don't think Love the Celtics... Daniel, sorry, but this yeah. is not your series. I don't, I don't know that the Celtics will change their starting lineup. I think what they will probably do is pull one of Horford or Mark or uh, Rob Williams very early and try to have that person match minutes as much with Looney as possible. Um, one thing that I do think could be on the table if the Celtics end up losing at game five is going straight into a small ball lineup right away and then basically saying, all right, we're actually not going to worry about the rebounding battle. We are instead going to blitz you with the switching defense and make sure that Curry never gets in a rhythm at any point. Do we feel worried? So uh, going to this series, as was the case with the Heat, as was the case with the the uh, Bucks, I was of the mind that the Celtics, even with their slightly shorter rotation, had the talent to win out. And I don't think yet we've seen enough out of Grant Williams or Peyton Pritchard to, to feel that same way. Do you think it's important or there's enough time for the Celtics to try to get either of those two guys going? Or do you think they run with their six and a half man rotation? I think that the the rotation players need to step up in this series because I think both teams are getting very good at dialing in on the stars. I think it's part of the reason why we're not seeing as much production from Jason or Jalen. You know, neither of them have had a really big supernova game in this series yet. Uh, I think that if we don't see at least a little bit better production, I'm not going to say bench players, but like guys coming off the bench and playing heavy minutes, I guess, like uh, super six men, there really isn't like, like I think they played just like three guys off the bench last game. Um, Like those guys need to contribute the starters need to contribute. i know this is like saying like really obvious stuff but i mean we can't have guys mailing in performances if if like they have to put everything they have on the floor for this game and the next game uh and hopefully not (laughs) the next game because if they don't there won't be a seventh game and there probably won't be a season so like we need to see like this, this is one of those situations where not only does ISO ball kill you, but like the expectation that the stars are going to save you are going to kill you. So, yeah, 
It's interesting, though, because from a matchups perspective, I think that Peyton Pritchard, it, Peyton Pritchard does not have a lot of places that he can play in this series. Uh, the Warriors, for the most part, play much bigger guards than Peyton Pritchard. Um, he has been a clear target for them defensively. And it's one of those things where if the ball isn't pinging around, then Peyton Pritchard is going to have to create off the dribble. And it's a really difficult ask for him to do against a defense that's as locked as Golden State's. So I'm looking at Grant in particular, who I think had a pretty significant impact on the game three victory just by crashing the boards and just kind of being a menace. He in particular really needs to show that he can impact the game um, from a physical standpoint and to do so without kind of losing his cool. And uh, basically, because if, if Grant starts to get into the emotional battle with Draymond Green, that is a battle that he's going to lose. So he's got to play cool, he's got to play collected, and he's got to impose his brand of physicality to the game. And I think if he does that, that would be a pretty significant development for the Celtics. But that's the guy I'm looking at off the bench that could potentially uh, be an X factor going into game five. Love it. All right, Justin. Uh, Jason Tatum just dialed in. You've got 30 seconds where you get to give him a little pep talk. What are you saying to Jason? Nobody expected you to be here. Nobody expected this team to look like it does. Uh, everyone expected you to be in Cancun. This is your moment to show that all the things you worked for were worth it for yourself. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the game. Enjoy being here. Don't Judge yourself. Don't judge the moment. Just play basketball. Have fun like you've never had fun. There's no guarantee you'll ever be in this moment again. Put it all on the floor. All right. Um, and then um, we got Jalen Brown on the line, Alex, and uh, he wants to hear from you for 30 seconds. Sure. What, what advice do you give uh, Mr. Brown going into game five? JB, my man, I have loved what I've seen from this postseason run. You've been excellent. Um, your confidence is high, and it should be, because here's the thing. None of these dudes can guard you. When you have the ball, get downhill. When, you when you're in the offense and you're the main guy, make a quick decision and go with it. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be right, because the Warriors literally don't have the personnel to get in your way. Draymond Green, you toss that dude to the side in game three. You can do whatever you want out there. Just play ball. Do you. I have full confidence that you can handle it. All right, and now we have every Celtics fan ever on the line, Cameron. Um, what do you say to them? Uh, I would say to not take this moment for granted. It's fun to nitpick. It's very frustrating what the Celtics did in the fourth quarter of game four. But to Justin's point, there's the Celtics have no business playing in this NBA Finals. They have no business being tied two games apiece to the Golden State Warriors. What is happening is some sort of like Cinderella fever dream that until the dust settles, I don't think we will fully recognize because we're, we're so spoiled as Boston sports fans. Um, this, is, this is not a Finals the Celtics were meant to play in and we're here and nothing's guaranteed. So as frustrating as some of the things we've seen have been uh, taking a moment of pause and just enjoying it is spectacular. The Celtics could win an 18th banner of Thursday night at home if things break right. And that's pretty cool. Okay. <clears throat> a final uh, question for us all. I'm going to ask you about how important game five is for the Boston Celtics. And I'm going to ask you to use an adjective to describe how important it is 
and because this is a weird and new prompt, I'll go first per usual to stall. Um, the adjective I would use to describe how important game five is to the Celtics is quite, it is quite important to the Boston Celtics. Um, I think that because of things that we laid out before going down three, two, just isn't a great look for the Celtics. Um, I would much rather them be ahead going back to Boston, um, not because that makes winning easier, but because mentally that makes things a lot easier, especially coming off. I, I think we're being polite about it. Game four's fourth quarter was an absolute disaster. And uh, I hope that the Celtics have put it behind them, but a game five loss might compound that issue. So I would describe game five as quite important to the Boston Celtics. Dr. Quinn. Paramount. It is paramount. Uh, to quote an ancient wise man, uh, anything is possible in the NBA finals, but uh, some things are very improbable. That doesn't mean they're impossible, but go for this win. Get this win. If you do get this win, it will make Banner 18 a hell of a lot more possible. Alex, describe game five for us, please. Uh, game five is going to be critical for the Celtics' chances to win this series. They absolutely have to win game five. I mean, I'm not going to say it's impossible because we have seen in the past that the Golden State Warriors are not a guarantee to win a game seven on their home floor. And I think there is a world in which the Celtics can lose game five and still survive this series but it's a really slim, very difficult world that relies on a lot of things breaking the Celtics way. Um, why not instead simply take game five, go home with a chance to win the NBA title on your floors. I think it's critical. Um, they have to show up and they have, and regardless of whether they win or lose, they have to show that they're capable of handling themselves and maintaining composure for a full 48 minutes. So even if they do lose, there's a way that they can lose where they can still feel confident that they can win the series. So I think to that end, go out, do what you need to do, execute for a full 48 minutes. Don't give them an inch of breathing room. Make it so that the Warriors have to rely on yet another generational Steph Curry performance to pull this title out. And if that's what then ends up happening, listen, all you can do is tip your hat to one of the greatest players of all time, but they have a chance to go out and take this series. They really can do it. So critical game five. All right, well, we don't need to beat a dead horse on that one. It seems like game five is a pretty big one. Alex, to your point, uh, the Warriors are not uh, infallible. And I recently watched the final five minutes of the 2016 game seven uh, with featuring the block from LeBron and the shot from Kyrie Irving. And I got to tell you, really bad basketball. Uh, if you are, as a Celtics fan, worried, go watch those final five minutes and you will see two tired basketball teams play really bad basketball to close out the NBA Finals. And I'll tell you what, Celtics can play bad basketball. Um, they play good basketball too, but they can play bad basketball. And so can the Warriors. So if you're worried uh, and you want to be a little shocked, go watch the final five minutes of Game 7 of the 2016 Finals and you will see that the Warriors are just as human as anyone else. All right. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Like and subscribe if you haven't. Thanks again, Canes Donuts. Thanks again, betonline.ag. Happy birthday again, Alex. And we will catch you after a quite paramount critical game five. <laughs>